Good evening and welcome to Pageant Verte, reporting to you live from Roanoke, Virginia. I am Kyle Ian Haggerty, your host. Now, normally I would have a co-host, um, someone who's involved in the pageant industry or a title holder or someone who's just in love with me. However, I have someone very special, someone who's normally behind the camera, but today they're going to be in front of the camera. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome the CEO, my boss, Ms. Pam Prevett. Hello, Pam. How are you? Hello, everyone. And Kyle, I do love you. So I do meet one of those criteria. <laughs> yes, I am behind the camera and I'm behind the scenes. But you know what? I'm very engaged to pageantry because I have a daughter who competes and I watch some amazing young women compete daily. So yes, here I yes. am. Hello, everyone. Well, let me well, first of all, congratulations to your daughter. She graduated. Where did she graduate from and what did she get her degree in? Uh, Paige graduated from the University of South Carolina. She has her degree in exercise science. Um, she is waiting to go to PT school. Very competitive. So Paige will be, probably be about a year and a half. Uh, she, mm -hmm. You know, she is going to take some additional classes and work in the PT field. So definitely um, she is just waiting to get into PT school. So what is it that I need to do to, let, to have her put that off a year or two so I can put her in a pageant? What do we need to do? Well, you know, Kyle, I'm going to tell you something. This, it, this, this is so funny because it really talks to what we're, we're, we're discussing. How mm -hmm. do parents ruin it for their children? Oh, you sure. Know what? It's just we have wisdom. And we try to give our children better than what we had. And they don't always listen. Oh, sure. They don't sure. Well, you know, <laughs> Pam, you're just... And I think Kyle... We talk about, you know, what I'm doing and who I'm coaching and giving our shout-outs and stuff. So I'm going to initiate you, and I got some questions to ask you for a change. How about that? All right, go ahead. Okay. Now, recently, the way I understand it, you were in Mexico doing something with the fashion hero. Now, I saw, you know, a whole lot of social media, and I know there were some things in the press and all of that. So why won't you tell our audience exactly what is the fashion hero, what was your role, and about the whole experience? Why don't you tell us about that? Well, the fashion hero is taking on the fashion industry to change standards. Uh, why should 1% who make millions of dollars uh, dictate and mandate what everybody else who's not a size zero should wear and what you know uh, how they should look in it so they are trying to change those industry uh, that industry by changing the standards and how people you know there's so much self-worth tied into our looks and who we are you know what the bottom line is is we're all beautiful we all have a purpose so in life. So that's what the Fashion Hero is all about. Getting to Mexico. What a fabulous experience. Who in the world could not love being on the beaches of Mexico? And I'm going to tell you something. We had some fabulous models down there. The energy was good. They were great kids. They did. They were down there to work. And they were down there also to have a good time. So it was a fabulous experience. Made some great, great connections, great friends. Jonathan Kane was down there, um, wonderful designer. Chris Wilmer was down there, executive director of the Miss United States and also of Miss World America. We also had Will Poho, who is the CEO of Moose Knuckles, an extremely um, exclusive um, uh, winter coat manufacturer. We had some fabulous people and a great time. But I do have to tell you, I am no longer in the on the project. Okay. Um, you know, it's just, you know, sometimes it's, uh, I need to get back to my brand and I'm back. And I, you know what? I, I, I have to real quick, I have to tell everyone, I sure. want to thank you and Stephanie from the bottom of my heart for not only everything you do, but for keeping the pageant live, continuing while I was busy on another project, and I do, I, I, I'm grateful to both of you. 
Well, you know, there, there is a part of pageantry that has to deal with the fashion industry. And so I think and I hope that that experience with the fashion hero have increased your knowledge on the type of opportunities that are available to the young ladies that I would coach. I, I guess my last question for you about the fashion hero before we move on is what do you hope to that was a cheap for the participants who did it? You know, what's the big picture for those that won that competition? Well, you know, a lot of it is uh, we had to, to sign non-disclosure act, uh, a non-disclosure act to, you know, not reveal uh, what happened. But I can tell you um, exactly what was to happen did happen. There was people who, um, you know, were selected to be models and modeled for, for major brands. Um, also, it's going to be um, aired on television. So um, I do hope that everyone, you know, watches it. And then uh, additional, you know, modeling contracts and things like that come from the show. Okay. Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, of course, we wish all the participants of the fashion hero. I know quite a few of my clients, you know, went to that event and um, I spoke to them and they're very hopeful, you know, that some great things are going to um, happen from that. So, moving on, what else is going on in the pageant world that we need to talk about, Pam? Oh, my gosh. Let's talk about, well, let me see here. We could talk about Miss World, Miss Universe. We could talk about, uh, oh, this new pageant in town, uh, Miss Asia, Asia Pacific. So which okay. one would you like to talk about first there, Kyle? Well, well since I'm going to be getting a tan in Florida, <laughs> Next month, you know, I'll be I'll be in Miami. Why won't we start there? So Pam, why won't you let the world know who's going to be in Florida in this universe next month? Well, I am going to tell you, Pageant Live is going to be at Miss Universe. We have been given invitation, media passes to go, and Mr. Kyle Haggerty. Stephanie McGrain and Stacey uh, Simpson, they will be down there. They will be covering the Miss Universe. I hope to get down there, to fly down there on the weekend. I have other commitments, but my Pageant Live team will be down there covering Miss Universe. And you know what? What a spectacular. Uh, thank you to the Miss Universe organization for extending that offer to us. And I want to thank you, uh, Stephanie and Kyle, for get, getting on the plane and going down there. Let me tell you, I want to accomplish one thing when I'm at Miss Universe. One. If I accomplish nothing else, I have one thing. I want to meet Osmel Sosa. You told me you want to drink his bath water. Drink his bath water. <laughs> I worship the ground that man walks on. You know, here's the thing. You know, when some pageant coach fixed their mouth to say that they're the best pageant coach in the country, I say, really? Okay. Here's my resume. Let's take a look at yours. Okay? And no one can produce a resume better than mine. The only person in the world would be Osmel Sosa with his six Miss Universes. So I want to be on the fly on the wall when he's training his girl so I can learn what he learns. So not only can I be the best pageant coach in the country, I can be the best pageant coach in the world. So I want to meet the man, Osmel Sosa. So Pam, we need to figure that out. Well, now, wait a minute now. So let me go back. You said there's somebody else better than you. Did you read no, no, that no. as live? Well, right? That, that, that woman who had that show that was canceled, <laughs> thank you very much, said that she was the number one pageant coach. No way. I, I, I don't believe it. There's no one better than Kyle. You know, humility is not one of my strong suits. I agree but I'm just going to hum. And I'm sure Laverne, our guest, will have something to say about that momentarily. But I'm not the most humble person in the world. So let's talk about Miss World. <gasps> oh, was that not fabulous? Oh, okay. my gosh. That was okay. fabulous. Before I start chest pounding, okay, before I start chest pounding, is it me or was that parade of nations with those national dances not the most spectacular thing you've seen in life? Oh, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. That was really one of the, that was one of the highlights. The highlights. only other highlight there was, was Elizabeth in her McDougal gown. 
We'll that, get to that. We'll get to that yeah, in a minute. We'll get, to, we'll get to that in a minute. But when I tell you I need Donald Trump to sit down, look at the DVD of Miss World this year, and as far as an opening number is concerned, that's how it's done. You know, I've been a universe guy all of my life. You know, and I've had clients compete at universe, and I've had many um, clients compete at Miss World. And when I tell you that that opening number at Miss World was everything that it needed to be, it was absolutely fantastic. And as far as Elizabeth, all I can say is thank God for the blessings. You know, she really went there and got the job done. And I am honored to have been on her prep team to help her get that second runner-up at Miss World. Bravo, bravo to you both. You know, but, but let me just say this and, and then we'll move on to one last thing and then we'll, we'll get to our show and introduce our amazing guest this evening is that, you know, I received hundreds of congratulations over um, Elizabeth's placement and I'm very appreciative of that. But at the end of the day, it's the girl that goes out there and do the job. You know, for example, you know, Pam, you were a leader and put together her media challenge presentation. You know, Pageant Live did that. And I had the honor of interviewing her, but at the end of the day, she's the one that got it done. You know, she's, you know, she had McDougal, she had you, she had me, she had Chris Wilmer. You know, she had an entire team to put it together. But at the end of the day, she got the job done. So Elizabeth, the United States of America, is very proud of you. And thank you for allowing all of us to be part of your achievement. We got one more thing that we need to cover, and then we're going to really get back on topic. So wait, wait, you didn't talk about her dress. Oh, it's not spectacular. And and I, Stephanie, has the honor, may I say, to interview McDougal tomorrow. And you know, Elizabeth's dress actually gowns have names. He named those gowns. They were so really. Special. Yes, he did. And so Stephanie you, will be interviewing them. Do you right. know them? Are you telling? Are you keeping that under your hat? What are you doing? Uh, no, no, no. I can't tell you guys. I was sworn to secrecy on that. Okay. But I'm so going to tell you. Yeah. Is going, he's going to tell all tomorrow. Stephanie is going to be interviewing him on Ask the Crown. And that is at uh, 5 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Eastern okay. on, at www.pageantlive.com. So do not miss that interview. because Well, I will, I will definitely be... I'll definitely be watching it. I'll, I'll tell you this. When I did, when I was with Elizabeth for her final rehearsal before she left from this world and I saw the wardrobe, when I tell you it is the most spectacular thing that I've ever seen. I mean, hats off to McDougal. I mean, I, it takes a lot to impress me because I deal with girls competing internationally all the time. So I see a lot of great clothing. But I must say that Elizabeth's wardrobe was one of the most spectacular things that I've ever seen. You know, so um, I'm looking forward to seeing that interview. I think it's going to be great. I agree. Yeah, so the last thing is there is a new pageant around the block, and that is what Miss Pam was talking about. And <gasps> guess who's the national director of that pageant? Wait, wait, wait. Chris Wilmer? He's, he, he owns everything else. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, Pam? You are trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> so for the first time, I'm going to avoid that. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to avoid it, and I'm going to get back on topic. Just for you, for those of you all who do not know, I am the national director of the Miss Asia Pacific World USA pageant, which is the national pageant for the United States for the Miss Asia Pacific World, which is held in Korea every May. So the national pageant is in December. And that winner will get to go to Asia and have an all-expense-paid trip. So what do you think about that, Pam? You know what? i got to tell you, I, I, I actually blogged about the Miss Asian Pacific, and I was absolutely impressed. I have to tell you, the prize packages, the entry fee is $395 to the first of the year. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, the prize package... It's just incredible. It has a different, you know, it, it's more model-based, mm -hmm. and it, 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 they, they do have a pageantry element about it, but it's very unique. I love unique pageants that bring something different to the table. So why don't you tell everyone the different areas of competition? Okay, well, I'll go through the competitions, and I, well, before I do that, I want to say something very important. 
It is a non-contractual title, and I think that's very important because a lot of the young ladies, they want to do USA, they want to do America, they want to do World America, they want to do all these other pageants. Well, I think because I work with these other pageants, I want the girls and even the title holder who wins to still have the opportunity to do all these other pageants. So at the end of the day, it's not contractual. So for the young lady that wins the title, if she still wants to do America, USA, World America, United States, whatever, she can still do it, and she receives her training free from me because she's my title holder. So I think that within itself is worth doing it. Um, the categories are photogenic, fashion swimwear. So we want the boots. We want the feathers. We want the capes. We want the Victoria's Secret wings. We want all of that. Um, it's evening wear, so you can wear pageant gowns, haute couture, high-low dresses. You know, you can really go there, and it's very fashion-forward. Um, there's self-expression, so if you have a performing arts talent, you can do it. Or if you wanted to do a TV commercial or a spokesmodel presentation, you can do that. And then, of course, on stage question at the end. The national prize package is worth $4,000. The international prize package is worth over $150,000. So for the young ladies who would be interested in competing, it's inexpensive, and you can get a lot of experience and win an all-expense-pay trip to Korea. Go to www.MissAsiaPacificWorldUSA.com. So, Pam, are we ready to start our show? Yeah, I am, but I'm going to tell you, and check out, check, check out the Ask the Crown blog because I did blog about it, and I'm going to tell you something. It is a bang for your buck, and uh, we are going to, Kyle is going to have um, uh, Model agents are going to be in the crowd, so you know it's great exposure. The for you people. talk about the informational meeting? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the actual pageants that you're going to have model agents in the crowd. Correct? Or was I incorrect on that? Right. Well, actually, and just so you know, the informational meeting will be Saturday, um, December 27th, for those that live in the D.C., Virginia, Maryland metro area, and it's at 1 o'clock, and you can go to the website, and the information is there. So, Pam, are we ready? Let's go. Let's bring on our guest. Yes, let, let's do that. Well, first of all, let's review the topic of our show. It's called Parents, Do They Drive or Crash and Burn Their Kids' Career? The reason why this topic is important to me is because, you know, I grew up as a child actor. I have danced professionally for many years. I did a lot of modeling. I did commercial work. I did movies. And, you know, as a young person, you know, my mother was guiding my career. And I was very blessed and very fortunate to have a parent, you know, that was very in tune and engaged, but she wasn't a nightmare stage mom. And in my line of work, I see that all the time. We have a very special guest with us who wrote a phenomenal book, um, and it's called Ascent from Obscurity. And let me tell you, I'm a very avid reader, and I tend to read a lot. And when I tell you that this is one of the most amazing books that I've ever read, and I look very forward to sharing not only the content of this book and, and the fantastic author of the book, but why this relates so much to the topic in which we're talking about today. I would like to introduce our guest. Her name is Laverne Cameron, a very special person to me. So let me do my disclaimer right now. Um, Laverne and I are very good friends, and I've gotten to know Laverne, and I feel very much a part of her extended family. Part of the reason of that is that I was her daughter's coach. Her daughter is Miss America 2010, Carissa Cameron. And so I had the honor to be there throughout her entire journey or a good portion of her journey to becoming Miss America. So as I talk to Laverne, I just want you all to understand that I have a very special relationship with her because not only what is she a professional life coach, she is also a mentor to me. And so I look very forward to sharing her experiences. And Laverne, why are you laughing at me? Laverne, you're laughing at me. I am totally not laughing at you at all. I'm not. Oh, okay. <laughs> Now, come on, now, now, Laverne, now you're the, one of the few people in this world that I will kind of bow down and genuflect to, you know, <laughs> okay, and, and allow me to, let's just say, put me in my place when I need to be put there. So Absolutely. with all that said, Laverne, welcome to, to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, we have a lot um, to discuss. And so I, I guess I'll just go ahead and begin with a very generic question, and then we'll kind of go from there. What inspired you to write this amazing book? 
Well, actually, Cal, I was going to write a book, um, but it wasn't necessarily going to was going to be about the context of what you read in the book. I basically wanted to write a book about Caressa and about her journey to Miss America and all of that. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, as I had contemplated writing the book about her, her journey to Miss America, all the nuances of things that she went through, I actually got a phone call from a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, and um, she just shared with me she felt that the book supposed to have been about um, Caressa's legacy and that of her grandmother and myself and our life path that um, propelled her into the pathway to Miss America. So that's basically what inspired that. Okay. And, you know, obviously we're going to get more into the context of the book, but overarchingly, once a person reads the book, what do you want them to take away from it? I want people to be enlightened. I want them to be inspired. I want them to know that there is hope no matter what, um, no matter what decisions their path may have been, um, that they can move into their destiny and ultimately, some of those things can help shape their destiny and not to see them as stumbling blocks, but to see those things as stepping stones to propel them into their future. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that sometimes when a parent is, you know, like yourself, molding your children for them to succeed in whatever they want to succeed in? But, you know, in this case, your daughter, you know, Carissa, she's a professional vocalist. You know, she's toured, you know, nationally as a vocalist, obviously being Miss America and have achieved some really wonderful things. Do you feel that some parents use, let's say, previous life situations that can be a hurdle or a roadblock for their children's success? Do you ever see that happen? Yes and no. Yes okay. and no, I do. I, I think that individually as a mother, I always say that God gives you the kids that you support to parent. And I think with that being said, that parents really need to step back and to really know who their kids are. And then once we know who they are, then you can begin to steer that and point them in the direction that they should go. I don't think that parents should, uh, in a sense, tell their kids what they should do or what they should be. I think that's wrong. But I certainly think we should hone in on the skills that we see that they possess and sort of help channel them into a pathway that we know that based on their God-given talents and abilities and um, gifts that they have, that they will be successful in those genres wherever they go, be it a Miss America or Miss Universe or Miss whomever, for that matter. Okay. Well, you know, the one thing that I want to start exploring is, you know, different, you know, challenges that parents have, you know, how to overcome some of those challenges, maybe some of the roadblocks or some of the things that they're doing or their way of thinking that Mm -hmm. could be hindering, you know, their children from success. So I'm going to start with, I want to read something directly from your book. You know, the one thing that, I hear all the time, especially when I move from Chicago to move to the South, is that sometimes it seems like that I hear parents say that when they enter certain competitions or go to certain auditions, that sometimes race and gender, you know, sometimes has an impact on the success of their kid. And and I want to read something here that's in your book. You say here, many people, and this is from page 15, many people in our world from family members, friends, neighbors, expect us to conform to unrealistic standards when a person, especially a woman of color, steps outside of society's predetermined boundaries, they are rejected, ostracized, and labeled as rebels. I have decided to do me, and I will wear white after Labor Day. Well, so will I, by the way. And if I want to, go ahead, call me a rebel, guilty as charged. So tell me exactly what do you mean by that? Because I'm quick to tell a parent, hold on a second. Be careful when you play the race and gender card. So tell me exactly what you meant by that and how it relates to a parent's thinking on their children's success in the industry. Well, Cal, Cal you know me. You, you know I me do. intimately. I do. And you know I, you know I don't play the race card. Mm-hmm. But I am a woman of 55 years old. I grew up in the South, and I do know oftentimes that the race card come into play more often than we want it to come into play. And then on top of that, um, to be a woman of color, uh, we are expected to um, jump hurdles. And in doing so, we can be as talented as we are. We can be as smart as we are. But sometimes that doesn't seem to be enough. And especially for women of color in this country, um, as a black parent, you know, I had to express to my daughter that she had to be the best of who she is as a person. 
and that although those barriers may be in play, she couldn't allow those things to, in a sense, get in the way of what her destiny was. So I don't think while there can be hurdles when it comes down to those types of things, we don't have to stop at that point. Because when we have kids who are as talented as my daughter is and as talented as so many other beautiful girls that I know, you don't allow those things to get in your way and stop you from your destiny. Again, you use those things as a stepping stone because when God has something for you, it doesn't matter about your color. It doesn't matter about um, the stigmas. It doesn't matter about the things that you may interfere, that may interfere with where you're trying to go. You have to determine within yourself, is this something that I want? And if it's something that I want, do I let these things become barriers? So that's basically what I was saying. And it's not left up to someone else to tell you, you know, what is right for you. You, you can't know that. You can't know that. Only God can know what is right for an individual person. And short of you being God, you can't tell me not to wear white pants after September. If I want to wear white, I'm going to wear white. And guess what? I'm wearing white. I, and I'll be I'll be right there next to you when you do. I'll wear white shoes too. You know me, Laverne. <laughs> now, in the book, you, you, you tell a story um, on, you know, Christmas Day of your father leaving, yes. you know, out to buy food for Christmas dinner and never return back. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, you know, I share that is that, you know, I deal with a lot of young ladies that come from single family homes and I hear the challenges that they go through and how sometimes that's used as a crutch to not be able to really pursue what their dreams are. Could you share with us, as far as from the story from the book of your experience with that and how you kind of overcame that, you know, to, to be where you are today? Because, you know, I looked at that and I went, wow, how does that happen to someone? Okay, well, first of all, just a, a minor correction. Uh, it wasn't my father who left the home. It was my older sibling's father. Uh, my okay. father is actually someone different than my right, older right. sibling. But you yes, that, right. your father left, and then subsequently, I am one of the children that came as a result of the separation and all of that. And right. so, but still, I grew up in a home with a mother where there was not a male present. Um, and it was very challenging, especially for the time in which we grew up. Because again, we grew up in the South. Um, I grew up in the early 60s, and we still was dealing with a lot of um, racial things. Racial tensions was going on. And my mother had to deal with a lot of things, being a single black woman raising at that time now 12 kids by herself and um, having to go through all the challenges that she faced trying to raise those kids being a single woman um, in the country. So um, it had great impact on my life because there was never a father in the home um, that made me a very outspoken person. Um, it also made me a person of control. Um, I didn't have a man in the home, and because of that, it was hard for me even um, being a married woman because I was so independent because I didn't know how not to be independent because that's the mother that raised me. That's the woman that I became, and then subsequently trying to become a woman who not so much um, being controlled by a man, but certainly you know, following the course of what a marital relationship is supposed to look like. It was very difficult for me because I had those challenges. I, I was my own woman. Okay. Okay. I, I definitely understand that. So, you know, for the single parents out there, you know, trying to find a way, you know, to, to work through pageantry or work through modeling or performing arts or really doing it, you know, when you tell this story, what would you want them to learn from that to persevere through when they're going through those challenges and trying to help their, their kids accomplish something? I, I believe that we have to set goals. And whether we are single parents or whether we are two-parent home. I often tell people there's no such thing as a single parent. There may be a woman living at home with her kids without the male present or vice versa, but there's two people that brought that child into this world. So I don't acquiesce down to that single parent role type of thing. I just believe it's a matter of what you are determined to do. And whether there's two people in that home present or not, it still depends upon what are you determined to do. Is it harder? Maybe yes. I, financially, yes. I believe that it is harder when you're alone without that income coming in from another person. But outside of that, I think single parents can raise respectable kids. Uh, single parents can raise successful kids. Single parents can do anything that any two-parent home can do. They can do that. Um, and I don't know why in America we, we look at that as being something that you know, when we talk about single parent, we see it as something, it's almost taboo, but it's not. 
You know, because over 50% of the homes in America now are single parent. That's becoming the norm. And with that being said, why do we think that these kids can't be successful and single parents, if you want to call it that, that they can't raise successful kids? Because I don't think that they uh, that that's true. I think you can, and you see it all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in in the book, um, you talk a little bit about the relationship that you had with your mother. You know, she had been involved with a married man for many years. Children came out of that marriage. Um, you know, and you know, you were starting to be very judgmental of that, you know, sure. when you were younger and how, you know, you found out about your biological father through the tensions between your older sister and her. And, you know, there was a lot of dynamics going on there. Share with us just a little bit about that part of the book and your story and how you use that experience to have a different relationship with your daughter, Carissa. Yes. Well, basically, you know, as I said in the book, as you read, um, I really didn't know that there was different fathers in, in our family structure until after my older sister had came home as a result of her now being separated from her spouse. And as a result of that, as the book states, you know, there was a lot of tension between her and my mother. And that tension came as a result of my sister beginning to walk um, in my mother's footsteps to a degree because she had started dating a man that was married. And I would hear my mother talk and have these conversations with her. I would hear her say to her that she didn't have to do the things that she had done. And, but at the time, I'm so young, I didn't really know what these conversations was about. I just understood the tension that came from it. And then as I continued to grow and these arguments continued to ensue, um, it was through these conversations that I learned that we had a different father and that my father was that of a man who was married. And subsequently, him and my mother um, all together had five children together. And as I begin to grow into those teenage years, when you become very judgmental and think that you know everything, I really had some very ill feelings um, toward my mother. Um, I felt that she was more or less hypocritical because she was trying to set a standard for us as young women growing up. And yet I had knowledge that of this fact that, you know, my father was a married man, and now you're trying to impose upon me some standards that she herself had not um, lived by. It wasn't until I became a um, young woman myself, I had been married, I am now separated, and I am now challenged with raising, at the time I just had the one son, um, on my own. And certainly um, challenges in the 80s were so different from challenges in the time of my mom. But yet I found myself walking into some of the similar pathway that she had walked into. The difference was, Kyle, is um, the circumstances that my mother lived was so different from mine. And yet I found myself walking in that same footstep. And subsequently I got to a place where I started not liking myself. Mm-hmm. And then I began to um, take another look and evaluation at my mom. And I saw my mother in a different light also. And throughout that journey, I, I came to a place where I recognized that first and foremost, I was wrong for judging my mother because I didn't understand what she had to deal with. And subsequently, the things that may have occurred that she may not even wanted to occur in terms of the other children and all of that. Um, and then, two, the second thing I learned was that um, we got to allow people to be who they are and accept people for who they are. I may not always understand your life circumstances. Uh, but certainly I am not uh, in a position to judge them. And so because of that, I was able to um, take a look at myself, evaluate my own life, um, change some things about my life. I think throughout that time, I didn't want to be my mother, if you will. And, and so I was marrying men just so not to be a woman who was having babies without fathers. And so I, I found myself repeating those cycles for the very wrong reason. I, j I didn't want to be my mom. But the reason for getting married wasn't the right reason as well. And so with that, I was able to just step back and say, you got to change your life. And I did. I made a conscious decision to do some things, to change some things that I was doing. And as a result, um, I was able, as my children came along and as they got to an age where I could talk to them, uh, I shared with them some of those life struggles that I had gone through as well as my mom. And I think those things helped to shape who they became as young, young adults. Yeah, it seemed like when you made that rele re that revelation, you know, that your whole perspective kind of changed, even in the way yeah. that you started gearing Carissa in her career. Yeah. You know, in your in your book, you say on page sixty two, 
We do this by demonstrating transparency in our lives. The consequences of my decisions not only became instrumental to help me shape my character, but they also became effective parenting tools I incorporated in raising my children. I did not hide the errors of my ways from them, but I used my experience as life instructions for them. Then you go on to say, the repercussion of poor choices can serve as a deterrent for repetitive behavior. With every choice, we need to ask the following. What results am I expecting? What goals do I have in mind? Will that choice produce the desired outcome? Moreover, what will the immediate and long-term ramifications? Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. You yeah. know, and, and, and so with all of that, how can we take this information and pass it to other parents to use this not only to raise their kids, but to start you know, working that into making the right decisions for their kids as far as developing their careers? Well, basically, um, I think the questions sort of summarize everything. Um, basically, during that era where I weren't making the right choices, I wasn't looking at any long-term impact that those decisions that I was making would have on my life. It was basically about the immediate gratification. And I think one of the things that parents can do to help their children is to understand that every choice that they make, be it right now or later, is going to have an impact on their life. And in most cases, the the impact of those choices is going to be with them a lifelong types of um, um, situation that would come from them and you continue to live those things. So how do parents help to shape their kids? I think by doing and becoming um, what I did, um, being transparent with their kids, allowing their kids to know that they hadn't dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's either. Um, When those moments come into play that they're able to interject some things into their children's life based on uh, what they have done and what they have experienced, it can certainly help to shape um, young people's lives and where they're going. I think basically uh, young people as they move into their teenage years and in their young adult years, they look for people who are transparent. They look for people who have lived life and have something to offer them, not from a judgmental standpoint, but from a standpoint of just offering information and giving them wisdom. And that's what I did. And most importantly, allow the children to decide what they want to do, as opposed to you telling them. I, I, I think it's wrong for parents to tell their kids who they're supposed to be in this world. Yes, we should recognize their talents. Yes, we should recognize their gifting. But we shouldn't tell those kids what they ought to be in life. Because I think what happens then, we try to um, have them to become us, if you will. Sometimes we don't meet those goals that we wanted to meet. And so now we want our kids to become who we have not become. And then we make our children's lives miserable because we don't give them room to be the free agent that God created them to be. You know, they're on loan to us, and they're to be free agent, and we are to help to um, guide them along this pathway. But certainly, we are not to determine um, what they're supposed to contribute to this world. That's for them and God to decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I so get it. I so get it. Um, the, the one thing, and you and I have actually shared this experience. I want to talk a little bit about Carissa um, a little bit. Is um, her her platform, her passion, which yes. was um, AIDS and HIV um, awareness. You yes. know, and and her platform. And for those of you who know in pageantry, the term platform means her community service, her cause that she's going to advocate. Well, obviously that, and we'll talk a little bit about your younger brother in a moment, you know, and how we got to that. But I want to start with something from your book as far as, you know, making the right decisions and letting your children, you know, do what they want to do. And I want to read from page 114 of your book. Okay. You say here, during her four years of competing, Carissa was advised to change her platform from HIV prevention to abstinence-only education. She was told that she would not win the title with her liberal stance, since Miss Virginia is a conservative state and would not embrace anyone who advocate anything other than abstinence-based education. Now, the reason why I so remember that is, Laverne, I remember sitting at your education. Not only did Carissa hold on to this, we took it one step further and did real talk AIDS in America, mm-hmm. you know, which really kind of catapulted, you know, her platform to national acclaim. So could you share with us the experience of the type of 
pressure that your daughter was getting to change something that was important to her and you as a parent how you work through that to remain true to what she really wanted to do because that's also a pitfall of listening to what other people want you to do right. instead of doing what's good for you. Why don't you share that with us? Basically, Cal, it was about conviction. Mm -hmm. um, we knew exactly what it was that we supposed to be doing with that platform as it related to HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And we stood firm on that. And while we got um, comments from people about what uh, her platform was and the fact that it wasn't an absent-based platform, we got a lot of stigma about that. Um, we couldn't be true to the cause if we did not include what I call totality of education. And so while uh, we did get um, hang-ups from people, we had to stay true to what we knew that we wanted to do with this platform. And in doing that, we just held on to our own convictions and we didn't allow uh, what people had to say uh, about what we were doing um, to impact on where we was going with that. So that's basically it. You know, and, and what I found very interesting, too, is that when Carissa really doubled down, you know, on it and really held true and not only just did AIDS prevention, but really talked about topics that people didn't want to talk about when it came to HIV, education, prevention, funding, you know, just the whole thing when she doubled down on it she wasn't losing interview. You know, she was really just nailing it to the wall and people would venture to say that she probably had one of the best interviews on the Miss America stage. Right. You know, that, that really came across and I think that was because of you all really just being true to self, you know, right. on what you wanted to do. Um, there's one last thing with, with the platform is that could you share with us, you know, your personal relationship with the platform, you know, in the book, obviously there was a good portion of it that actually brought me to tears on, on how your brother came out to you of, as far as who he was as a person until, you know, God took him from us, you mm -hmm. know, due to the early epidemic of AIDS and HIV. Could you share a little bit of your book with that story? Yes, basically, I have a whole chapter devoted to my brother. Uh, my brother Robert um, died from the complications of HIV and AIDS in 1995. Um, and as a result of that, this is how we came about um, being involved with HIV and AIDS as a result of him. He actually came out to me in 1987, the same year that Carissa was born. And um, not only did he come out that he was HIV positive, but he also came out that he was um, gay at the time. And so in that year, yeah, that was one of the most, um, I, I guess, complex years of my life as an adult, um, having my beautiful daughter being born and then my brother um, telling me that he was HIV positive as well as being gay, as I alluded to in the book, and then subsequently just talking about the struggles that we went through from that point on, um, ostracization that he underwent, uh, being a black man, gay, and HIV positive, and Cal, you understand about black and gay in our culture, oh, yeah. um, it's, it's a big thing, and to it be is. black, gay, and HIV positive, um, it was it was heartbreaking uh, for him um, because there were family members who did um, not accept him for either thing. And with right. that being said, as I wrote about it in the book, um, that my mother um, went through a lot as well as a result of um, what subsequently came out to her and um, him telling her about his situation and her having to live with all of that. So um, it was a trying time for us. Um, as I stated in the book, um, although um, it was a hard time, it was also a good time because it was all through, also through this time, as I said to you, uh, as I stated in the book, that I learned a lot about myself uh, through my brother as well. Uh, that gave me another aha moment um, because at some point in my life, I also had judged him, as I talk about in the book, about being gay. And yet I had to recognize that I had lived a lifestyle that wasn't that different from his. And so... Um, I initially um, started doing work in HIV and AIDS when Chris was just a little girl. She was only eight when my brother died, so she was too young to do anything in that um, field at the time. But as she got into the pageant field, um, that became her platform as well. Thank you for, sh for sharing that. One last thing I want to talk about, and then we're going to come close to wrapping up here, is that you and I shared something, and it, it's, a, it's a, yet what I call another... Um, way that you can crash and burn, you know, your kids if you're not careful, is that, you know, you talk in your book about the year 2008 when Carissa got first runner-up at Miss Virginia. Yes. 
And for the first time, and let me tell you something, Laverne, I learned one of the most valuable lessons from you that night. Um, I'm not one to get angry, to cry, or to, or to curse at the end of a pageant. You know, I, I don't do that. But when I tell you that night, when I saw Carissa get first runner-up, I have never been that angry at the end of a pageant a day in my life. Now, I say that to mean that the young lady that they crowned was a beautiful young woman who did an outstanding job as being Miss Virginia. Yes. And so I don't take anything away from that young lady because sometimes you crown the right contestant for the state, but a lot of times not the best contestant to go to Miss America. We right. see that happen all the time. Yes. And to see Carissa do that and not get crowned, for the first time in my coaching career, I was beside myself. And for the first and only time in my career, not only did I shed a tear like we were all crying, I did not behave as professionally as I could. Mm -hmm. And I remember you grabbed my arm and you looked at me and you said, Kyle, don't do this. You represent my daughter. I don't know if you remember that, but you said you represent my daughter. And I shut it down. And the lesson that I learned is that as a friend or family, and I do consider myself to be family when it comes to, to you and Carissa, we can ruin it yeah. for our kids with our behavior, even though when our intentions are good. Could yeah. you please share with us, you know, how you were able to get through seeing your daughter just, you know, wow, the entire stage, you know, and just was phenomenal and did not get it. How did you work through that for her to become Miss American? Then we'll tie up this interview. Okay. Well, actually, Cal, I think I shared some of the same sentiments that you shared that night. I think we all did in that particular year. That was one of the most disappointing um, times for us throughout the whole pageant um, time that she had been competing. Um, I, but I knew um, when you're out front, you know, my mother used to tell us you have to put your best foot forward or, and that type of thing. So I knew that um, Crystal was going to still compete. I didn't know whether or not she would compete in Virginia, but I knew she was going to still compete. And we didn't want to do anything that would cast any dispersion off on her. And so that's what was going through my mind. The hurt and the pain of her becoming first runner-up that particular year, uh, yes, it was very deep. And yes, the young woman who won, yes, she, she deserved to win, but we felt that Carissa had did, you know, an exceptional job. And, you know, I guess the star wasn't lining up for her. But in hindsight, Kaya, for real, it wasn't her time. It just wasn't her time. And I found that out in hindsight. That night, however, um, for the whole family, we had to chalk it up and um, put on our good faces and, and go in and congratulate the winner and, and do the things that you're supposed to do. Um, some things that you can't change. That was something we couldn't change. We couldn't take the crown off the young lady who had won, uh, but we knew that we had to go on and to make sure that we kept things uh, safe for Caressa so that she could compete, whether it was going to be in Virginia or wherever else at that time. Uh, we wanted to make sure we did not do anything to cause her any problems as she went forward. Well, you, you know, you talk a little bit about girls, you know, letting your kids do what they want to do. You know, you, I was the one that tried tooth and nail to get her to compete out of Virginia. You know, I, I was the one that really wanted that to happen, but she held firm, and at the end of the day, she did what she wanted to do and became successful. Okay, Laverne, real quick, we got a quick speed round here. I'm going to mention a topic, and I want you just to give me the first thing that comes to your head, okay? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, gossiping parents. Gossiping parents? Gossiping parents, what's the first thing you got to say to gossiping parents? Stop These it. Are speed. These are speed rounds, okay. Naysayers, those who get on those boy boards. Shut your mouth until you do it. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Right, okay. Last minute preparation. You're done. You're done. <laughs> okay. You okay. Okay. Competing without a budget. <laughs> I've done it for years, so <laughs> go for it. <laughs> and I was there to see you do it. <laughs> I, was there, I was there to see you do it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Keeping a good face when you know the fix is in. We've been there, too. That was hard. <laughs> Suck it up and keep it moving. Okay, okay. All right. How do you tell your daughter 
when to say when, when it's not going to happen. My theory is by the time they're 10, you need to tell them. <laughs> 10 years old, they need to know. They need to know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Tell okay. them the truth. <laughs> All right. And, and the last thing is that what do you feel is the biggest mistake that parents make when their child is grooming to compete or actually competing? What I've seen in the time that Carissa has competed is that parents think they can do something like the week of competition. The girls have done everything they can do because you do all the prep work in the backfield. At the time of competition, it's done. Leave those girls alone. Let them do them, be them, and the chips are going to fall where they fall. There's nothing else you can do at that point. So, okay. yeah. All right. Well, I want to show our audience this is the cover of the book that we've been yes. speaking. We see the beautiful young lady here. Yes. This is the second cover she's on. Laverne, what was her first cover? Please share it with everyone. Oh, it was a, a magazine. It, God, it's been so long ago, I can't remember. You know, Laverne, I am insulted. Her first book cover was my book, Producing Winners, Your Pathway to the Crown. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about when she was a little girl. Did, <sighs> did your life. <laughs> Laverne. You've known for the past eight years that the world revolves around me. Didn't you know that? And now you know what I told you about that too, right? <laughs> that stays here, Laverne. That stays here. So if someone wants to get this book, and oh, this is my autographed copy, so I'm really excited to have it. How can someone get your book? Okay, well, there's several ways. Uh, you can go to Amazon.com. Uh, bondsandnoble.com or you can go directly to the publisher with is Tate Publisher. You can go to their website and there's a um, dedicated line dedicated to my book. Just put the name of the title or my name in the search engine and all the information for ordering the book through Tate directly will come up. And Kyle, if I would, I would just like to talk a little bit more about the cover if you don't mind. Just I would to love it. If you would hold sure. it up. Uh, basically, I just wanted to talk about how I chose the cover, um, the inspiration behind the cover. At the top, as you can see, um, in the words I sent from, um, that's actually a picture of my mother. And that's my mother's actually looking down on Caressa. Yes. Okay. And um, we um, chose to cover because we wanted to depict um, coming from the place of obscurity that my mother had come from and to um, come to a place of prominence through her granddaughter Caressa. And so we wanted to try to capture the journey of what had happened in her life as well as uh, Caressa and having to capture that on the book with both of them being there. So. Well, and of course she looks absolutely amazing. And um we all know the story about the yellow gown, but we won't oh. get into that tonight. That'll be a different show. Yes, and also, I got a website, too, for the book. It's basically Please. the name of the book. Uh -huh. It's www.accentfromobscurity.com. You can go to the website also, and information there on how to order the book, as well as uh, different things about the book is there as well. Okay, and you know, to everyone, when in doubt, if for some reason, if you didn't write down all this information, you can definitely reach out to me because Laverne is going to be cooking me dinner sometime next week. And Laverne, what are you cooking me? Catfish, as always. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we know exactly what I like. Fantastic. Well, Laverne, thank you so thank so you. much, you know, for the show and. Pam, I'm sorry you got no questions in. Did I hog up all the time? Oh, wow. Yes. What, that was just an incredible interview. You know, Laverne, I'm going to tell you, I can see why Chris is so successful because she had an absolute fabulous teacher. I Thank mean, you. I was, yeah, was, you're definitely, a, you're a teacher. The only thing is that I was thinking, you know, she's very lucky because, you know, some children, parents are, there's drugs involved, there's drinking involved, and thank God, you know, there was nothing like that, you know, because that takes a whole different dynamic when, when children and the parents are involved in that type of activity, you know, especially in this country nowadays. Yeah. But my thing is, is that, you know, I mean, I, I definitely, um, uh, our success of our children, we always want better for our children than, than what we had. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely see why your children are so, so successful because, you know, it, it, parenting's hard. It's a, a lot of work. And it's yes. the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my life, and I'm sure yeah. is yours. But it, it is definitely time-consuming, you yes. know?
And you know, so I mean, I absolutely applaud you. Um, and, and writing a book is on my bucket list. Okay, so I need to do that. Okay, <laughs> but I, I have the name of mine. Mine's going to be "Girl, You're Keeping Us in the Typing Pool." Yeah, <laughs> you and I are about the same age, so you can relate to that. You yes, know? <laughs> women in business. <laughs> so that's my, that's the one I want it. That, that and, and right. the title just keeps on sticking in my head. But you know what? Congratulations to Thank you. you. You know, when you reach that top with a, with a child, you know, Miss America, where does she go? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you've been at the top. I mean, what's next for Chris? I mean, and you. I mean, you guys are on the journey together as a family. Well, you know, basically, um, well, yeah, she's been to the top, but I think there's other plateaus that she has to reach. And, and in particular, I'm hoping that she's going to pursue her career with singing. Russell has a wonderful okay. She sings in our church now. And I, from one Sunday to the next, people are constantly just talking to me about when is she going to start recording because she has that type of voice. She's an awesome voice. So I'm hoping that she's going to um, do some things there. Um, she's um, definitely still working her platform. I'm still doing some wonderful things with that, with her platform. Um, and um, just being a good wife. <laughs> I think she's enjoying just being a good wife at this moment. But well, I would say congratulations to her and you. You know, I, you. I wish you both much success. And thank, thank you. Thank you for coming on, really. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So, so Kyle, what's up? What, yes, yeah, what are we doing? We need a new co-host. I do need a new host, and okay. I think what I want to do is that I'm going to invite a couple of maybe potential co-hosts, and maybe we'll let, you know, we'll let the social media public vote on our new host. I think we'll do that. Okay, so I don't know. Wait, 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 wait. Host with me. Okay, so wait a minute. So we're looking for a man or a woman, somebody no, with me. Now, with me, does that really matter? Well, I don't know. I, I like a woman sometime with you because, it, 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 you know. You're going to need someone to tame cow. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe will take that position. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, 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 we'll start auditioning more sooner than later, you know, to do that. But, yes, social media world out there, I'm looking for a host. So, Pam, if somebody is interested in being my host, where can they email? They can email me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we'll let you do the interviewing. There you go. You get to oh. talk to Laverne, and she'll sign a copy of her book for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. <laughs> well, before we, before we close, I want to go talk about our next show. Pam, are you ready to hear what our next show is? Let me, okay, wait, wait. Let me, let, let me remember. Our next show is talking about... It's about directors that lie, cheat, and steal. We actually have someone who is affiliated with a pageant system where the director is taking people's money. Contestants are flying from around the world, showing up at a hotel for a pageant, and the pageant is not there. Um, this person um, is putting up fraudulent websites and um, correspondence and taking people's money. And um, I find it very interesting, and we're going to have someone on the show who's willing to name names and to call it out for what it really is. Now, it is our policy that when we have a contestant or someone affiliated with the pageant tell their story or tell their truth, that we will invite that director to come on and tell their version of the truth and that let you decide as the audience. So that show will be coming up within the next two weeks, so we're going to get through the holidays, and then we will be filming that show. So we look forward to, to hearing their version of the truth and then getting the retruth, and then we'll make the decision for ourselves. So I think it's going to be a great show, Pam. Oh, I do. You know, and one thing I always say about the pageant industry, it, you know, something, you know, the top tier pageants like Miss America, Miss United, USA, United States, you know, they, they, they all, you know, they have very distinct rules. But until the pageant industry is regulated to some extent, you are going to have people making up the rules as they go. And I have seen that in pageants before. I look very forward to speaking with our guest who's going to tell her story. So with that being said, again, Laverne, I look forward to coming to your house and having catfish yes. next week. Mm -hmm. And thank you very much for sharing your story with us. And I will advise our audience that when you get the book,
yeah. to have a glass of wine and some tissue next to you because I, from page 72 on, I did not have a dry eye. So it He's is been crying constantly ever since Miss World. I know, since Miss World. I'm crying. Keep crying. Absolutely. But with all of that being said, I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us, and I will leave you with the message that I do every show. Believe in yourself and never, ever give up on your dreams, that regardless of who you are or where you're from, greatness begins with you. See you next time.